Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 30. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here this week to discuss Christopher Robin. We're kind of continuing this train down the track of original animated into live action. Though different from the rest of them, this isn't a reimagining or a remake. It's a sequel, but it's still in the same vein. Because as we well know, this tends to be the year of the live action remake. Yeah, this is more like Mary Poppins Returns where it picks up where the other one left off. Yeah. Um, This one is, for those who haven't seen it, you know, you've listened to our show before. You know there are spoilers coming. So if you haven't watched the movie, you may want to go watch the movie. It's on Netflix. It is, It's on Netflix right now. For now, for now it's on Netflix. I was surprised to see it go up with Disney Plus coming out this year. Well, I think they have a contractual obligation to release some of these films still because the Disney Plus hasn't launched yet. Disney has a lot of contractual obligations. Refer to The Simpsons. They can do whatever they want. This is very much true. But uh, it's it's on Netflix for now until Disney Plus launches, and we have a lot to talk about this week, up to and including Disney Plus. But before we get started, we do have to shout out a couple of our really good friends. Yeah, we're going to throw some podcast love over to uh, Detour to Neverland. This week they did a show with John Sakari, better known as the Big Fat Panda, who has been on our show before for our Into the Woods review. And uh, it was a delightful episode. Yeah. I mean, it, it always is. Detour to Neverland, uh, Brendan and Catherine do such a great job always. But I was just, I, I just loved it. I was so entertained. I laughed. I cried. Literally, you did both. I did, yeah. Um, so that that was on uh, their their show this week, and you can find them at Detour to Neverland. You, you'll find them on Facebook, on Instagram. They're yeah, great. I'll share that episode on our social media, too. Yeah, if you guys haven't listened to them yet, they're a great listen, and uh, we do have a little surprise coming up with them in a couple of weeks. So yeah, just, I can't wait for that. Just keep an eye on your social media. Keep an eye on the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, at Monoreal Radio. You are going to see something special coming in a little less than two weeks. Yeah, towards the end of the month. Yep, with end of uh, March. Detour to Neverland. So what do you say? Do you waste no more time? We get right into Christopher Robin. I think uh, th- that should that should be what we do here. Let's do it. Okay, excellent. So the movie starts with Christopher Robin's goodbye party. Christopher Robin says he can't do nothing anymore, but promises to out Winnie the Pooh. Christopher Robin is sent to boarding school. His father dies. He meets his wife and is sent to fight in the war where he comes home injured to his young daughter. There's a lot going on and they kind of condense it very quickly. Um, When he comes back, obviously he comes back a very different person. He's clearly too serious with his work and doesn't seem to believe in whimsy anymore. He's forced to stay home while his wife and daughter go away for the weekend in order to work on a budget plan for Winslow, the company he works for that makes luggage. Now, obviously, his wife and daughter are very disappointed, but are sent on their way regardless. Meanwhile, in the Hundred Acre Wood, 
Pooh wakes up to find that all of his friends are missing. While searching for them, he comes upon the door that Christopher Robin used to come through and walks through it himself, ending up in a park across the street from Christopher Robin's house in London. The two come across each other, and a stunned Christopher Robin takes Pooh back to his home for the night. The next morning, Christopher Robin and Pooh board a train to the cottage in Sussex, where his wife and daughter are, in order to get Pooh back to the door that leads him back to the Hundred Acre Woods, because up to this point, they haven't been able to get him back. Um, So Christopher Robin follows Pooh reluctantly into the Hundred Acre Woods to help him find his friends, and they use Christopher Robin's compass to navigate through a thick fog. Christopher Robin falls into a heffalump trap that he made as a child and stays down there until a very heavy rain fills the hole and he floats to the top. While trying to find Winnie the Pooh, Christopher Robin stumbles upon Eeyore, who is floating down a river. He retrieves him and continues to try and find Pooh and his friends. It is at this point that he comes across a trail of acorn shells, which leads him to Piglet, who inadvertently leads them to the others. This being Kanga and Roo and Owl and Tigger and you know, so on and so forth, and Rabbit. Uh, to prove to them that he is Christopher Robin, because, of course, they don't believe him right away because he's no longer a child, he is now a grown man, he pretends to slay a heffalump, which leads them to recognize that he is, in fact, Christopher Robin. They eventually reunite with Pooh and accidentally fall asleep through the night. They wake up and Christopher Robin is forced to leave the Hundred Acre Wood hastily to get to work with his budget papers. We find out that Tigger has replaced the papers with things from the Hundred Acre Wood so the rest have to walk through the door to get the papers to Christopher Robin so he is prepared for his meeting because they believe um, that if they don't do this he is going to be eaten uh, for breakfast by a heffalump. It's actually, it's a very funny little throwaway line and it kind of keeps coming up through the movie. Um, upon entering Sussex through the door, Pooh, Tigger, Piglet, and Eeyore meet Madeline, this being Christopher Robin's daughter, and she recognizes them from drawings that her father had done when he was a child. The five leave the cottage and board a train to London. The taxi therein from the train station to the Winslow building crashes after the driver sees the stuffed animals talking, but they are left uninjured. They then stow away in a Winslow delivery truck on its way back to the building. Evelyn interrupts the meeting to tell Christopher Robin that Madeline is missing, so they head off to find her. Christopher Robin tells Evelyn about all of his friends in the Hundred Acre Wood, but she is, of course, hesitant to believe him until said characters are ejected from the trunk that they are hiding in and by chance land on top of the car that Evelyn is driving. They go back to Winslow's, but Christopher Robin's papers have since blown away. Christopher Robin walks into the meeting and suggests that paid vacations would add new and more luggage consumers to the market, boosting sales and saving his company. The board agrees, and Christopher Robin leaves the meeting and brings his family back to the Hundred Acre Woods. Um, This movie... Is it, it surprised me when we saw it the first time for a couple of reasons. The first being, it was not, for me at least, it wasn't the tearjerker I thought it was going to be. I, I really thought, and this is coming from somebody who on average works 70 hours a week, gets very little time at home. It's hard to imagine I have time to do this with you <laughs> once a week, but I somehow find the time. Coffee helps. Sleep doesn't exist. Um, I thought this was going to be 
a very firm look in the mirror. And I know that there are a lot of people who I think thought the same thing was going to happen, but it just didn't really have that effect on me the way that I thought it would. You kind of took the words right out of my mouth. I remember looking at the trailer and I went, oof, right in the feels. I thought this was going to be a total sob fest. Uh, And that's not to say that it wasn't sad, but it was much darker than I anticipated for a poo movie. And within the first five minutes, when you see Christopher Robin go off to war and there are bombs exploding around him, I remember watching that going, oh, wow, I didn't I didn't see that coming at all. I love how they handled it, though, because they do start in the traditional uh traditional Disney fashion, they start with a book, but they keep it true to the Pooh books where you have uh, not the narrator, but over the opening credits, you see all of the animation from the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh lead you right into Christopher Robin's goodbye. And I love that they made the characters look similar to not the original book in the original animation, but they made them look more like their Disney animated characters. So I thought that was really cool. And it kind of leads you through this montage of sad in the drawings, but they use the drawings as like a scene header and then they play it out live action. So like when he meets Evelyn, that's probably really the only happy thing that happens to him. Um, You know, it's like chapter five in which Pooh meets Evelyn in the animation, and then they throw to the scene. Um, So I think that kind of lightened the load a little bit as far as showing the death of his father as a child and then him going off to war. But I just really wasn't expecting that dark turn, and I feel like this is probably the most real Disney has ever gotten. I mean, I know the ongoing joke is that, like, Disney always kills the parents. And they did here, you know far be it from them to break tradition. But um, I was really surprised that they went there as far as Evelyn being pregnant before he left and then meeting his daughter when she's three. Right. You know, I what I thought was really smart about this script was that it wouldn't really have made sense for him to have such a strained relationship with his daughter and his family if he didn't have such a hardened past. The hardened past right. being what happens between the moment that he gets reintroduced into society and the moment he leaves the Hundred Acre Wood. Because Christopher Robin, as a child, is so whimsical and he uses his imagination, and he has created this amazing world with these phenomenal characters, and it's something that we are also accustomed to because we've been watching these films, you know, from the Disney company at least, for the better part of 50 years. The fact that he would be so out of touch with that world really wouldn't make a lot of sense. I thought... Um, and, and this is just another film where we bring it back around to this. Yeah. We've talked about it a lot. I thought this was going to be Hook. Exactly, exactly. And I thought with Hook, it was a little bit of a stretch, but I bought into the notion because as Peter Pan left Neverland, he started to grow up because he was no longer in that that universe where you are kept a child anymore. So as he grew up, he grew more distant and more distant and more distant. I I didn't think they were going to be able to pull that off with this film without it coming off like a total ripoff. Right. Because 
the thing that happens in Hook when Peter Pan grows up is that he becomes a workaholic. He Christopher Robin is definitely a workaholic, but it did balance it out by showing what else hardened him after he left the Hundred Acre Wood and why it wasn't so easy for him to just go back into that state. Because, you know, for somebody who's been through trauma, like you want to cling to your childhood when it was a happy time for you. And he's just way too far removed from it. Mm -hmm. There's a scene here where he explains to his daughter and his wife that he's not going to go with them to Sussex and that he has to stay and work. And he goes, I will go unpack my suitcase. And when he goes to the bottom of the stairs to get them, there's only two suitcases there. He asks Evelyn, or as Eeyore, Eeyore calls her, Evelyn, my wife. Yeah, um, I love it. Where's my suitcase? And she goes, I never bothered packing it. That is a microcosm of... Not only how he is as a person, but really that's their entire relationship and their entire life in a nutshell. Let's talk about that for a second, though. Okay. Because I understand, you know, her role in his life and you you have the conflict of, you know, he's got this internal battle with work because he's working too much he doesn't really have a lot of joy in his life and now you're giving him a conflict with his family. Okay, fine. But Evelyn needs to lighten up a little bit. He's been to war. You have no idea. You can't possibly relate to what he's been through. I mean, I know she had a tough time of it on her own because they also show that once he left, she's there about eight or nine months pregnant and then she goes to work and she's raising this child by herself. However, you're lucky that your husband came back to a job, a good job, and you have two homes because of it. So lighten up on him. Yeah, that within itself was, I I don't want to call it cheesy. It was predictable. It was derivative. I, you know, you kind of saw that it was coming where it was, oh, you have to work again. You know, it's, that has sort of, I don't want to say you're beating a dead horse with it because there are relationships that are strained because of a lack of a home life and a work life. The fact that this continues to happen to him, it, at least you're introduced to the idea that this happens a lot. Like, for example, there's a scene where Evelyn and Madeline are dancing with mm -hmm. the record player on. And he walks over and they're smiling at him thinking he's going to join them. And he just shuts the door on them and goes back to work. Right. There were a little. The, it was too much noise for him with the music. Right. And he couldn't just appreciate that they were having fun. So I, 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 agree, I tend to agree with you. But I feel like in this instance, it was necessary. But where I will agree with you is that there are times where they push it just a little too far. Like, okay, we get it. There's one part in this where you kind of feel like they're coming to a resolution where she's like, I haven't seen you laugh in years. I mm -hmm. haven't seen you smile. It's not, I didn't fall for you because you had such a great career. And he was like, was it my dancing? Like, he's kind of like getting cute and, and teasing with her. And she's kind of giggles and looks away. And you're thinking, okay, here's where you're at least going to see the Christopher Robin that she fell for at least a little bit, get a little a glimpse silly. of who he was. And he was like, I'm sorry. He's like, I just have to do it this one weekend. And she goes back to being angry at him. Like there was no compromise there. So I felt that that interaction for the most part didn't really go anywhere and didn't 
do much for the script other than continue to uh, reinforce the fact that she's upset that he works too much. Yeah, I think it's at the point where like he's too far gone and her fuse is way too short. It's they're trying too hard, but we already understand. Right. Because th- this film had tastefully done a few things whether it be a throwaway line or a little quick scene like the dancing scene where he shuts the door on them, we get it. We don't need you to keep saying it. And she's like, hello, your life's happening right here. Hello, I'm your life. Remember me? I'm your wife. Hi, I'm here. That's almost exactly what she says. So it does get, like you said, a little derivative at times. Yeah, and when she says that line in particular, that's that was almost a turning point for me to make me hate her because it's like she's so pleased with herself for actually like not standing up to him because he's not he's not a tyrant, certainly not to his family uh, and not really at work either. Um, but it almost made me really dislike the character because she's like, I'm going to open my mouth. You've already opened it and your face says everything. Um, I mean, at the end, obviously, you know, it's a happy ending. The family stays together. But. What's odd to me is that once they're out in the country and she's trying to comfort her daughter uh, as far as her relationship with her father and him not being around, she says he's having a really rough go of it. So she clearly understands what he's going through. But like up until that point, she doesn't really choose to help him through it. Right. And I think that's where there's just a bit of a disconnect for me. And there's a scene right before the suitcase scene where the daughter is going through the box of things that she found and they're his little trinkets and drawings and collection from when he was a child and it's the hundred acre wood but he doesn't recognize it as such and that's when he breaks the news to her that they're he's not going to be going with them and she asks if he can read to her and she pulls out his copy of Treasure Island but instead he grabs history book and starts to read it and gets half a paragraph in she goes oh you know what I'm too tired he shuts the light off takes a few steps away looks at her bedroom door and she turns her light back on like she just didn't even want him in the room anymore yeah you know we we get it those were the scenes that were kind of tasteful. We didn't need the other stuff. Yeah, I think the relationship with the daughter, who the actress who played Madeline, phenomenal, by the way. She really carried everything. Um, I think the relationship with the daughter pretty much said it all because Christopher Robin went to boarding school when he was a kid and we learned that Madeline is about to leave herself she's going to go away to school and she really doesn't want to she wants them to be together and she wants to stay with her family and they handle it I mean it's it's a tough love that they're sending her away he wants the best for her he wants to set her up for later in life and she's just going with it because she'll do anything she can to keep him happy and she thinks that's what's going to win his affection um so I thought that was interesting because they really put the weight of the world on her shoulders. Yeah. Um, and Evelyn goes out of her way to explain that one to us as well. Like Evelyn at times, she's almost like Skylar from Breaking Bad. Oh, God. For anybody that watched it, she's not as insufferable. And she's certainly not like like Rachel in Pet Cemetery for those who have read that book because Rachel and Skylar they 
con- they they compare and contrast to each other very very similar. This is in the same vein. It is a little bit more watered down, but the root of it is the same person. Like no matter what your significant other does, everything that they do, they do for you. Everything they tr- they they're trying to do the best they can for their family to set them up. But it's never good enough. It's never good enough. And you take it out on them. But you don't recognize, as you pointed out, all the things they have around them. Right. So it does get a little repetitive. And and I, I think it does cheapen what's otherwise a very good script every time she needs to keep reminding him of things. Right. Because it's like, how much more can the poor guy take? Right. And it, that, that kind of... It takes me out of it a little bit. Yeah. And he's aware of what he's putting her through, but he's doing it with her best interests in mind. And, for you know, the other thing is, as you pointed out before, he went off to war. You see things that you can't unsee. Clearly, she knows his very difficult past the things that he's gone through, when she fights him on everything he tries to do, it's almost as if she is spitting in the face of everything that he went through. I'm not just talking about him going to war, him losing his father, and everything that he dealt with as a child Mm -hmm. that made him the way he is now, it's almost as if she doesn't care about any of it. Or at least doesn't take it seriously, yeah. Right, like really not at all supportive at times um the relationship that you have here between winnie the pooh and the very young christopher robin and you see it in the beginning of the movie it's much deeper here i think than than you've been led to believe in any of the other films now that might be because this film by and large is geared very much for adults by no stretch of the imagination is this a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that a kid can't watch it, but I don't think a kid understands any of this. I think they understand they're watching a movie with Winnie the Pooh and Christopher Robin is grown up. But I don't think they can really understand or handle some of the subject matter here. So they took this opportunity to really delve deep into what that relationship was. I would definitely agree with that because... You could always tell in the animation that out of all of them, Pooh was his favorite. And they did have a special bond more so than he had with Piglet or Eeyore or anyone else. Um, but they really drive it home here. Like the way that Christopher Robin, like he, he really leans on Pooh. Yeah, especially as a child. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting too, because once Pooh comes back into his life as an adult... All of these other issues that he's having with work with his family, he in turn, instead of recognizing what Evelyn's putting on him, he takes it out on Pooh. And that I really, it kind of makes Christopher Robin unlikable. Oh, when Christopher Robin, there's a scene where Christopher Robin is explaining that if he doesn't get to his, his work and and put this budget plan together and get to this meeting that he's going to have to let people go. He's going to have to fire people. But Pooh doesn't understand what let people go means. So he says to Christopher Robin, did you let me go? 
And Christopher Robin just looks at him and goes, I suppose I did. That was stone cold. He's horrible to him. Christopher Robin is so disconnected from reality that it's painful. Yeah. But I but but it's but it works though. Ewan McGregor is good in whatever he does. Yeah. He was really good as Christopher Robin and I thought that he sold this character and he sold this pain so well. Yeah, I mean when I say unlikable it's not like I'm saying I mean obviously he was mean but it's not like I'm saying he he annoyed me as a character i mean like i believed it so much i was like you're a horrible person yeah yeah it was really a really great casting choice um for for christopher robin i think Um, all of them were i liked um Haley atwood too yeah for as annoying as the character was um i I still liked her in it but I, i i think disney likes her too because she was obviously she got her start in uh captain america right Right, as Agent Carter. Yeah, I like her a lot. Yeah, she was great. I think she played that role the way they wanted her to play it. It yeah, it's my my issues are more with the character than the actress. Right. Um but in spite of it all, there are still plenty of lighthearted moments in the film. Like the throwbacks are great. Like when you see Winnie the Pooh wake up in his house right before he finds that his friends have gone missing, he does with the up down touch the ground yeah, it's yeah. It, it puts that smile on your face first off i love the look of these characters let me just say i love the fact that they don't just look like cartoons they do look like stuffed animals that have come to life mm. we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> <laughs> but um when we get to the animation itself yeah I but have i have a lot of thoughts right i figured you have more thoughts about it than i do but i didn't want to i did want to throw that out there quickly um his one-liners are phenomenal. Like, for example, when they go to the train station and they go to buy the ticket and he goes, why is he in a cage? Talking oh about the person God. that works. It gets me every time. Every single time. But there are just little things that he says here and there that, like I said, it's it's lighthearted and it's fun. And it it sort of takes away from what is otherwise very serious subject matter so the movie doesn't go completely off the deep end into just being a sad film right um particularly the scene i like that's really lighthearted is when he tries to bring Pooh back to the hundred acre woods and he's taking him through london and up until that point i was wondering almost you know you touched before on the did you let me go thing i was beginning to wonder if they were going to put the Winnie the Pooh and the rest of the characters in the context of being made up by Christopher Robin as a child. Because I was wondering if, because Pooh couldn't literally find them in the Hundred Acre Wood, if it was because Christopher Robin had forgotten almost everyone except Winnie the Pooh, who he was closest to. Right. But then as he's dragging him through the streets of London and Pooh starts talking to other people, which is hilarious, it's a great sequence, you realize that Christopher Robin is not the only one who sees him. Right. And I, I did like that because at first I, I thought the same thing. Is this something that Christopher Robin has conjured up in his head again because he's so disconnected from reality and he's so hardened to the world that he so desperately needs to be a child again that he's gone back to playing in his, in his own mind? It almost, I was wondering if it was going to be like a bing bong thing 
Right. Where in Inside Out, where it's like just tucked so deep away in the memory, but all he has is Winnie the Pooh left because he's just so far removed from it. And I love the fact that that's not the case. Yeah. I love the fact that these characters are real, that they do exist, that this isn't just in his mind. Um, Before we move on to characters and animation, uh, I have one more thing about the script that really bothers me. Um, It's all the back and forth. You know, we were just talking about how he is taking Pooh through London to get on a train and take him to the countryside to go back to the Hundred Acre Wood. All of the back and forth between London and the country drives me nuts and it completely takes me out of the movie because they're going away for the weekend. And, you know, it could be as simple as we live on Long Island. We've said it, you know, a million times. It, it could be as simple as a train ride from like the city to the Hamptons. It Maybe it's a two hour train ride. It's not that bad. Um but he keeps driving the point home. I need time to work. I need time to work. So there and back figure four hours out of your day. How do you have that much time where you can't spend it with your family, but you have enough time to get poo out of your hair to take him back? Yeah. That kind of falls apart for me. And I feel like it almost would have been more effective if Christopher Robin did go to the countryside for the weekend with his family when he's supposed to be working to maybe clear his head and find some quiet time to actually get the work done. And Pooh pops up out there and then completely distracts him for the whole weekend. He's trying to hide Pooh from his family. And then Evelyn gets mad at him because now she's actually successfully gotten him away from his work and out to spend time with them, but he's still not doing it because he's she doesn't know he's disappearing into the 100-acre wood. I think that might have made this more effective. It would have made the conflict between the two of them more realistic. And the whole thing where he gets Pooh back there, he's willing to help Pooh, willing to find the time to find the rest of the group, but he's still not willing to spend time with his family, even though he got there to the house. And then he's like, sorry, gotta go. And doesn't even explain himself. It drives me nuts. Yeah, I'll give you that one. I, I agree with that. But where the where the script does work is little things too, like, like the red balloon. There's a scene where Pooh wants a red balloon, and it's a funny scene when he gets it. Yeah. Um... As they get on the train, it gets caught in the door, and Pooh says, but Christopher Robin, my balloon, and he goes, well, we're already on the train, you don't need it anyway, and Winnie the Pooh goes, but it did make me happy. Yeah. And the, it's, the red balloon is not just a balloon, it's, it's a symbol, it's symbolic for- Really? Even just the smallest of things- We've watched the movie six times this week. There are people that maybe only watched it once or twice or haven't watched it once that wouldn't necessarily pick up on the fact that it's more than just the balloon. It's like that's that's the thing. It's 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 something that on its own carries the entire purpose of this film. Well, I mean, yes, it's very symbolic. I, I mean, maybe to me it was obvious because then the balloon is transitioned to Madeline. Um Pooh eventually gets it out of the door. It does make its way back to the house in the country. And Christopher Robin ties it to a bicycle. Um, So they've almost spent their 
entire trip where Madeline has been inside doing homework and preparing for school. And her mom says, why don't you go out and play? You know, she's trying to get her mind off of her dad not being there. And um, she sends Madeline outside and Madeline doesn't even know what to do. She doesn't know how to play. And interestingly enough, she does actually say, um, I'm going to play better and more than any kid ever has. And like you can tell that she's also trying to be such a perfectionist, too, from the weight that her father has inadvertently put on her. Exactly right. So then she literally starts playing with the balloon. She finds it and um, she takes it to a tennis court and she pretends that she's at Wimbledon. Um, So it transfers there. And then later on, who asks Christopher Robin if the balloon made Madeline happy? Right. So it does it does really carry the film quite a bit. Comparing woozles to those in the real world was brilliant. Loved that. Um, because we all know woozles. We all deal with woozles, some more than others. And I love the fact that they keep calling Christopher Robin a heffalump until he proves himself to be otherwise. Well, yeah, he's acting like one. Right. But it's more than just them being confused and saying something funny. It's clearly a shot at his character. It's it's an unintentional shot at his character. They villainize him. Yes. Because he's a suit now. Right. Yeah. And it was absolutely perfect. No, and I love that he's like taking the ribbon, the ribbing from the rest of them. Like, you know, Tigger's calling him a heffalump. It's great. Right. And when the film eventually does end, the ending of this film to me feels like a victory. He brings his family back to the Hundred Acre Wood. They've this is now their first time there, and he's picking up where he left off. And the film ends with him walking off to the top of the hill and sitting with Winnie the Pooh by themselves, the way they did when they were children, and him saying silly old bear, and their relationship has mended. But his relationship with his family has also mended. And it is a very heartwarming end to what up to this point, for 95% of the movie, even where the little fun parts are peppered in, is an otherwise dark film. And I really feel like that was the perfect end to that movie. I thought it tied it up very well. Yeah, especially because you've established that this is not all in Christopher Robin's head and that they are real, and now he's brought his family into it. Um, I think it did tie it up very nicely. Mm-hmm. And in a weird way, there was the child version of me watching this through the eyes of an adult that was just so happy that we got Christopher Robin back. And that it wasn't just him handing the reins off to Madeline, that he himself has accepted that this this is his life and he is back. Like he's no longer checked out. There was a part of me that thought that He'll have accepted the fact that he has grown up and he'll hand it off to her, which is fine. I like the fact that that didn't happen, that he shares it with them and he embraces that he is, in fact, Christopher Robin. Yeah. And what I really like that they did, too, is at first I thought the whole company issue was a little contrived and that, you know, they're going to need to lay people off and it's going to be pinned on him. But I like how they tied that up at the end too. He also incorporated his family into the solution because, you know, he's talking about only the wealthy can go on vacation. If you make everything more affordable, more people will, you know, if they're getting paid vacation, more people will go, more people will buy the product. Um, 
so it paralleled the family drama really, really nicely. And it was able to tie it up. It wasn't that go fly a kite moment that I wanted. Um, but it definitely fit the story and it didn't make the whole work drama thing feel so derivative either. Right. There are times where this looks and feels and, and even sounds like saving Mr. Banks, especially when you get the scenes in London where everything's very washed out and it's drab and it's very dark and you get that in saving Mr. Banks as well, especially when you have the checkered past or not so much the checkered past so much as it is the hardened past that has made this character this way. I don't want to say it's formulaic, but it is very similar. No, and even in Mary Poppins Returns, I'm like, there was a point where I was like, is this the new London aesthetic? I mean, I know it rains there, but everything is just, it's almost washed out like a Tim Burton. Yeah, and actually, I think we'll be watching that one again soon because I think that comes out on Blu-ray next week, which I'm actually very excited about. Same. Because, well, we'll review it eventually, but I think well, we, we kind of spoiled it when we did our year in review. We loved Mary Poppins Returns. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really excited to watch that one again. That'll be one where, like when Frozen came out on, on DVD and Blu-ray, it didn't leave the Blu-ray player for three months. I kind of get the... Months? S- well, okay, for me, <laughs> I feel like that's going to be the same thing that happens when we get Mary Poppins Returns next week. Yeah. I'm really excited about that one. Um, and we kind of had that going with this. Like, we've watched this movie a lot since it came out. Because in spite of the fact that we do have issues with it here and there, there are st- there's still so much about this movie that I enjoy. What I enjoy most is, as I said to you in the very beginning, it wasn't the hardened look in the mirror. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't think I was ready to see this movie. I didn't think I was ever going to be ready to see this movie. But I had to see it when it came out anyway. And the fact that I walked away going, oh, I don't hate myself. I, I can go back and keep watching this. That was it. Maybe that's where I, I like the victory so much, too. Like, it's just, to me, it, it, was, it was an easier movie to watch than, than I thought it was going to be. But I know a lot of people thought the opposite. There were people that when this movie came out on Facebook were just like, don't go to this movie if you don't feel like crying. It's like, I, I didn't get that. I just never really got it. No, there were a few things where I just, I was completely taken aback, but it, it, I wasn't sad. It right. certainly wasn't a sad movie. And I think part of that is because the lighthearted moments are so funny. Let's delve into the actual characters of the Hundred Acre Wood because that's what makes this movie so magical. Right. And I think that we've already covered enough of the adults. Or, or even the, li- the live action actors and actresses, I should say. Actually, no. There is one more that we did okay. not yet get to hit on. And I need to say it. Oh, I know where this is going. And you're right. Oh, the gin rummy neighbor. I want to punch him in the throat. He is the most annoying character that has ever been commit to film. Ever. Gin rummy. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. He's bad. No, you know why... So as if Christopher Robin doesn't have... He's useless. That's that's the point that I'm trying to make. Christopher Robin is if he doesn't have enough going on with work and then his wife constantly on him. There's a neighbor and he's like, you owe us a game of gin rummy. But it's it's the way that he says it that actually makes me uncomfortable. Like, I dare say it's almost sexual. Gin rummy. Stop it! <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's weird. You're right. It's weird because it's it's more than just the neighbor that's like like that's the trying to body. Cling. You know what I'm saying? Like we all have. You've seen it parodied in television and film, and some of us have. It's like, ah, oh, crap. That guy across the street. I don't want to talk to him. And so you won't take the garbage out for three days because you don't want to talk to your neighbor. Um, we all have that. But yeah, there's something about this guy that's more than just being overbearing neighbor. Please don't do that as I'm trying to fall asleep. I won't. That's <laughs> God. That's like too good. Way yeah, too good. It's, uh, you're right. It is sort of creepy and but other other than him standing at the front door and christopher robin trying to avoid him and that's how he ends up in the park to have the run-in with Pooh. right the guy serves no purpose and i feel like you could have just as easily had christopher robin go back to the house let's say this character does not exist and he just decides i'm gonna go for a stroll in the park across the street and go sit on a bench and clear my head have a woe is me moment yeah i would have rather seen that than this guy yeah. Please don't do it again. Let's move on. To the <laughs> I'm not going to do it again. God. Um. So we we mentioned before that Winnie the Pooh has some great one-liners. Um, Jim Cummings does such a good job with these characters, and he gives them so much life. And Winnie the Pooh is the way you want him to be. Exactly. He's just, and that's that's what I like so much about him is they didn't try to reinvent the wheel with any of these characters. Okay, then there's then there's your version of it. <laughs> um, I think what they got right, they got really right. And there are some things that when they're off, they just completely fall apart. Like, for example, just overall based on aesthetic, I don't like how some of them look like real animals and some of them look like stuffed animals. Like rabbit and owl are real. Like, it's, it's real fur, unless I'm missing something. No, they're real animals. And then the rest of them are stuffed. And unless I miss something in the animation, I thought that they were all supposed to be stuffed. They might have been. They might have just gotten it too on the nose. I mean, unless... Uh, the, the only thing that I can think of, and maybe this is something I'd have to go back and do a little research, that some of the toys are coming from the nursery and he's bringing them into the woods and maybe we're supposed to know that Rabbit, who has the burrow, and Gopher and Owl are, are there already, but that doesn't make sense because Pooh has the house and the tree and so does Piglet. So... I'm thinking back of the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh when you open in the nursery, and off the top of my head, I don't recall seeing Owl or Rabbit. I remember seeing, or Gopher, and you don't get Gopher in this movie. No, you don't get Gopher at all, which Um, was seriously lacking. I don't know that he was necessary in this movie, I'll be honest with you. Not for this film, but I missed him. Yeah. Um, I don't recall seeing those two in the nursery of stuffed animals. So I suppose... The rest of them were brought into the Hundred Acre Wood, and that's the interaction. All right, then that's on me, and I completely missed it. But um, I had mentioned before, I like the look of them. I like the fact that they don't just look like cartoon characters, that they do look like stuffed animals that came to life. And I know that you hate Chucky and Child's Play, so that probably didn't sit well with you. And you have a very funny Teddy Ruxpin story that maybe we should share. 
How dare you? Oh my god, I wasn't prepared for that at all. But it would it would help explain why you don't like that stuffed animals would come to life. No, that has nothing to do with what I don't like. What I don't like about this is that sometimes their feet are dirty when they're walking in the mud and sometimes it's not and sometimes Pooh has honey stuck to him and sometimes he doesn't and now you're like psychoanalyzing my childhood? Are you kidding? I'm looking for consistency in the film. This coming from the person who couldn't wait to have me tell the story of a panic attack on 20,000 leagues under the sea when I was a child. All right, fine. So when I was a kid... I had the Teddy Ruxpin. You put the cassette tape in his back and it made him talk and he would read his stories to you. And he was about like, I don't know, he was like life size. He was probably like two or three feet. And one day, I I mean, I loved the toy. I played with Teddy Ruxpin all the time. So one day I was carrying him and I dropped it and his eyeball fell not out. It like fell inside his head so we couldn't even fix it. And he was dead to me from then on. You don't have to worry about that anymore because the new Teddy Ruxpins have digital eyes. Which sounds creepier than what you dealt with. Stop it. They're digital. Oh my God. Yeah. Teddy Ruxpin is back in digital form. That's terrifying. Everything from when we were kids, though, is coming back. That's half the reason why they keep doing these live action remakes. Yeah, that's true. But, um,. Anyway, thank you for sharing that story. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> okay, so now we're even now. We got it. We're good to go. Um, you wait. I don't have to wait. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, we, we're, we're the, we're, we're wiped clean on this one. So back to the animation. For re- it does bother me that they really couldn't commit whether they're in the uh, the hundred acre wood or they're stuffed because sometimes there is the dirt and the honey, like I said, and other times it's not there. And I mean, I know in the animation, like the honey's completely different. Like it, it looks like gooey and like it looked when I was a kid, I remember like I wanted to eat that honey. It looked so much more substantial than what honey is. Yeah. So when Pooh would like wipe his face clean, it would all just go away. In this case, sometimes he's eating it and it's like stuck in his fur And when he's in Christopher Robin's house, he spills it all over the place and he's like tracking it all over the house. But other times he's eating it and you don't even notice. Yeah. So that was something where, like I said, they just needed to commit to it because it didn't look like the attention to detail was all there. And sometimes like there's a scene where he's walking into the tree with Piglet and there's mud on their feet, but then there's not. All right. I'll give you that That one. That kind of thing bothers me. All right. Fair enough. Um... Let's see. Oh, what I didn't like, let's talk about Piglet for a second, because he's kind of Winnie the Pooh's number two. I know everybody goes directly to Tigger. Tigger's probably the number two character overall, but um, Piglet's the right-hand man. I like Piglet a lot in this movie, but it doesn't sound like Piglet. No, and he's missing a little bit of the neuroses. A, A touch. I can deal with that. It's just that... You're not always going to make it exact, but that's such an iconic character that you have to get him a little bit closer. No, and I think it would have been funnier, too, if he was kind of like off the... Like, for example, what they did with Eeyore. Eeyore was exponentially more depressed 
than we've ever seen him. And Brad Garrett is incredible. Brad Garrett is unbelievable. But people forget that Brad Garrett was a voice actor long before he was on Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, how could you not be sounding like that? He played Hulk Hogan. When Hulk Hogan had his Saturday morning cartoon back in the late 80s, that was Brad Garrett doing the voice of Hulk Hogan. I would have no reason to know that. Well, I'm telling you. <laughs> um, but back back to Piglet, I agree. Um, between I, I liked Piglet, but between not being neurotic enough and the voice being a little off, like it, it wasn't as perfect as I wanted it to be. Agreed. Um, Tigger is Tigger. It's Jim Cummings. He does both Pooh and Tigger. Um, and the shtick didn't really get old. No, like when they're driving in the car and he sees him, or on the train, I think it is, when he sees his reflection, like it it never gets old, no. Um, rabbit is rabbit. Kanga and Rue are Kanga and Rue. Rabbit was all wrong. Aside from the real animal versus stuffed thing, the voice was not even there. And, you know, I said it last week, I don't even like Rabbit. I think Rabbit's a little bit too mean and way too OCD. He wasn't as OCD in this one, and... The voice just wasn't there at all. The voice wasn't there. I can slightly overlook that. He seemed a little bit more neurotic. Like, he is neurotic as a character because of the OCD that you get from him. But he came off more like a piglet than Piglet did in this movie. He almost kind of reminded me of the March Hare a little bit. Yeah. And not just by virtue of they're both rabbits, but like the... um. Like we were talking about in Alice in Wonderland, how he's kind of got like that that he's got cackle that yeah, and that little ping has gone off in his head. Yeah, that's kind of what this rabbit reminded me of. Mm, yeah, I'll give you that one. But it actually made me miss the old annoying rabbit. <laughs> um, we talked about Eeyore, and like I said, Kanga and Rue are kind of just there. They're secondary characters. I said it last week. I felt they were very much secondary characters, and not much changes here. Yeah, I mean, the voices were good. It was fine. And Owl's voice, too. I, I didn't think that was very fitting. He didn't seem like the wise old owl. No. I'll, I, yeah, I'll give you that one as well. Um, not a ton of music in here where they do sprinkle it in, as I mentioned before, was great. When you get the, the quote-unquote Winnie the Pooh song and it kind of comes in quietly as you know just a, a piano on its own and just kind of gave you the warm and fuzzies. Yeah, the only thing they really do is is Tigger sings his song. But they don't really even draw attention to it that much. It's not like a showstopper. Yeah, it's not a big number. But I I don't think I don't think this movie would have worked oh, if you did that. I'd have a lot more complaints. No. Like this movie was just too dark. Oh, dark and ominous. ominous. <laughs> <laughs> <Bong>. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Marshall for those of you who haven't seen it. Um this movie is far more dark and ominous at times where if you would have thrown that in there, it would have just felt so disconnected yeah, absolutely. that it wouldn't have made any sense absolutely. at all. Absolutely. Um, so I'm kind of glad that they stayed away from it. Yeah, like in, in um, I almost said Saving Mr. Banks, uh, in Mary Poppins Returns, it's very well balanced because what they're all going through is very, very sad, but the numbers, the musical numbers don't feel disjointed at all. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Um, you do get a little Richard Sherman cameo uh, in the end credits. Yes. He's playing piano on the beach, and it's showing all of these people on holiday. And 
with their Wilson Winslow luggage. With their Winslow luggage. And then there's Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore and Tigger uh, and Piglet sitting in sunglasses and beach chairs. Which makes sense because I remember seeing the poster for the film and I was like, why are they at the beach in sunglasses? This doesn't make sense. It's a little quick clip uh, during the end credits and it's fun. So if you didn't stick around to watch it, um, make sure that you do watch through the credits here um, when you're watching either on digital or if you have the physical copy uh, for home video release. It's it's fun. This is also why we'll never get him on the show. Yeah. Um, Well, I... I've tried. I know. But, well, hey, never say never. I don't think we'll have, um, we probably won't have Meryl on the show. Because, as Panda pointed out, (laughs) we said that she wasn't as hard to ugly up. So I don't think Meryl (laughs) Streep will be joining us. Richard Sherman might, but I don't think... We've had nothing but great things to say about the Sherman brothers' work. Yeah. Um... So it was good to kind of see him come in there again and get his his little cameo and his little moment. Um, but in all, uh, I really do enjoy Christopher Robin, and I, I strongly suggest it to anybody that hasn't seen it. Um, it, it does, as, as sad as it can be, um, oddly enough, there is enough going on there where the film does have rewatchability for me. And... I don't think that it was the mega smash that Disney had hoped that it would be. And I wonder if part of that is because Winnie the Pooh is so geared towards a really younger audience that when a movie about Christopher Robin comes out, it just doesn't seem as appealing. Perhaps because the subject matter was as heavy as it was that families just weren't as interested in bringing their children to see it because if you want to show your kids Winnie the Pooh, this is not what you sit them down to watch. You're right, but I'm glad you bring that up because for as much as I've had to say about the movie that, you know, I've, I don't mean to bash it. I'm certainly not bashing it and because I do enjoy it. Um, and it's definitely got rewatchability. Um, I just feel like I had a lot of negative things to say about it. But I guess that's it, because it's, when you're talking about an entity like Pooh, I wanted it to be perfect. So if we're asking, as we always do, does it hold up? For me, no. Um, and I think that that's because there are just things that don't necessarily work for me story-wise that kind of take me out of it. But... What I do love about it um, is that we got a Winnie the Pooh. And I think it's one of those things like the Muppets where it's never, ever going to go away altogether. It's always going to be back in some form. Like, you know, they had Winnie the Pooh on. I can't remember if it was Disney afternoon or Saturday morning. It was, it was Saturday, Saturday morning, morning. And then I think they just showed reruns on the Disney afternoon. And... That, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's such a generational thing that it just crosses over and it works and it's always going to be there. Where some things where, you know, maybe kids now prefer Anna and Elsa to Ariel or, you know, they're not going to get Mulan and like Mulan the way they do Merida. Um, and I never think Winnie the Pooh is going to have that problem. But I guess that's where my grievances are because you love Winnie the Pooh so much. And to me... They they just didn't get those classic characters perfect. Okay. 
All right. I'll, I'll, I'll let you have that one. But I like it nonetheless. I still enjoy Christopher Robin. Before we get into the news for the week, I do want to throw this one out there. Don't forget, we do have one spectacular contest going on right now. Um, it's been getting a lot of play on social media, and for good reason. We are giving away a Frozen on Broadway prize pack where you get a travel mug from the show and you get a playbill that is autographed by a majority of the cast. Um, Except for Anna and Elsa who snubbed us. Okay. You had to get that one in there again. Mm-hmm, um, sure did. But uh, the young Anna and Elsa... Wandering Oaken, Kristoff, um, I think we get we got Hans. Yep. Um, and the Duke of Wesselton we got as well. So all original members of the cast signed on that playbill, and some of them have since left the show. Actually, we saw a few of them in their last week. Um, so this is a cool little item. So don't forget, the way that you enter is the way we do it for all of our contest here. Like, subscribe, share. Um if you if you rate us on any of your uh, podcasting platforms or on Facebook, you get five entries. Plus, you get an addi- additional entry for liking and sharing the posts. Yes, and the more entries you have, the better your odds are of winning because we're going to throw them all into a hat and pick a winner at random. Yep, 11.59 p.m. Uh, coming up on this Sunday. St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, your last day to enter, and we're going to announce the winner on next week's episode of Monoreal Radio. So uh, let's get into uh, this news for this week. We have a lot. We got a lot this week, starting with the announcement that Galaxy's Edge actually has opening dates for California and for Orlando. What makes this interesting is that they're opening months apart. They're not opening on the exact same day. What's really interesting about the Orlando end of this is that the park, that section of the park, which is opening on August 29th, I believe, is not opening in totality on the 29th. They're opening it in two phases. The first phase is... You'll be able to do some shopping, some dining, and you'll be able to do the Kessel Run, the Millennium Falcon ride, mm-hmm. um, with the Rise of the Resistance ride coming later. They haven't said when. They've just said later. I'm surprised either ride was open. When I found out they were doing kind of like a soft open and they're going to do this in stages, I figured you'd be able to go around, walk around the world, get some food, get some drinks, and then the rides would come later. But... I got to say, I'm, I'm glad that Disneyland is getting the, uh, the dry run before we get it. <laughs> and at Disneyland, I believe reservations are required to get in. They're not doing that in Orlando. I th- yeah, I think you have to like book your time to go in. Right, which is smart. It's smart because you're, you're seeing to it so that people are getting themselves in, but you're also avoiding the rush, the run the mob, the chaos, because that's what it's going to be that's when these I, lands open. Yeah, like I said, I'm glad that Disneyland is getting the dry run before before we do, and they'll have about two months before our trip to get it out of their system. Um, but I guess it's smart that they're opening in two separate phases. I mean, I guess that's their way of letting people filter in and doing the first part, especially the locals. 
I think it'll be better for locals. Yeah. And then you just open the second part, and by the time the second part has been opened, people who are local to the parks that are going down there a lot, especially those who are doing a lot of media, they've already filtered through, so now they'll go do the, the, the other side. I think that's the hope, is that it's not going to logjam everything at once, because you figure, not half the people, but a good chunk of the people will have already done Phase 1 so many times that when Phase 2 opens, they just kind of default to going to Phase 2. I guess it's just a crowd control thing. Yeah, and I think it's smart the way they're doing it, too, uh, for Florida, is that most of the kids will already be back at school, so, like, families who are taking a vacation, you know, for Florida, it's different. They're going back to school a lot earlier, but, like, for up here you can't return to school in september and then pull your kid right out to take a vacation i mean you can but nobody's really going to do that so i think at least they'll get the locals through they'll get the really hardcore star wars fans through first and then by the time you know the holidays run around or by the time the holidays come around uh I think they'll have addressed all of the crowd control issues so that families who may only be able to get there once a year can enjoy it. And that being one of the busiest times, if not the busiest time right. of the year for them. Right. You know, that, that Christmas week. Um, Maleficent is getting a sequel. Apparently it's already done, I think. It's done and it's coming out on October 18th. Where did this come from? I know. I was kind of like, did you just have this sitting in the can and you saw October was wide open and it's like, oh, hey, let's throw a film in there as if they don't already have enough going on this year? We've had it beaten over our heads this year that we've got Toy Story and the Jungle, or not the Jungle Book, the Lion King. And we had, Mar well, that Mary Poppins was December, but we have Captain uh, Marvel. Captain Marvel. And then we have Endgame. We have, the, we have the next Star Wars movie coming out and Aladdin and like all of these movies. And then, oh yeah, and Maleficent. Yeah. Which I'm actually excited for because I did like the first Maleficent film. I did too. So you can be on the lookout, at least as we close into the release of that in October. Be on the lookout for us to do a review of the first Maleficent film with uh, Angelina Jolie. And Sleeping Beauty as well. Right. Um, Disney Plus launching later this year. We still have no idea when. No. we don't, And they haven't confirmed the price point, though we have been told it's going to be under $6 a month. Interestingly enough, they are doing away with the Disney Vault because... The entire film library will now be open on the streaming service. That's great for us. <laughs> it's great for us, but I think it's also, but it's kind of sad because it's 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 telling of the time. What that basically tells me is that you are going to eventually phase out home media and home video, mm. which I think we all kind of knew was coming anyway, but. I'm not saying they're going to do that at the end of this year, but it seems like they're slowly going to pull out of doing home video because no one's going to go out and spend 20-something dollars on a Blu-ray if they can eventually watch that movie for 5 $6 a month on the line. Now, they've said the entire catalog's going to be there and the vault will be no more, mm. but they haven't said when things are going to get released. Are movies going to be released in digital format on Disney Plus the day the Blu-rays come out? Are they going to come out the day that the digital copies come out? Because now digital copies come out a week or two before Blu-ray anyway. Right. Like, what exactly? They haven't really said 
what the format's going to be. So I'm very interested to see what happens there. I kind of hope they just like pull a Beyonce where it's like, okay, here it is. But I do agree with you on the home video thing because there's something to be said for, you know, like when you were a kid, like actually hunting these films down and building your collection up. Um, so for for Disney fans, I think that's kind of sad to not be able to like build your Disney, li- have a, a physical Disney library anymore. Well, right. I mean, look at what we have going on. Not to interrupt you, and I do apologize, but before I lose this, look at what we have. I mean, we've built such a big collection because we're part of the Disney Movie Club and Disney Rewards, the movie rewards. Like, what happens to all of that? Right, right. You know, it just, it, it leaves a lot of unanswered questions. And you're not also getting your behind the scenes anymore. Like, unless they have, so, like, I know, I, I think HBO does it sometimes where they'll have like a half hour making of for some of the films that are, being played on HBO but like you know I kind of want to see how they do certain things like especially with the animation and you know for me at least my opinion of it is is this first off I grew up as a child we had a huge movie collection it was like we were proud of it Mm -hmm. I have a huge I must have a thousand movies in this house yeah and I haven't even brought all of mine over yet and we're like completely out of space but I want to keep buying them. Like, I love adding to the library. Mm -hmm. I love the vastness. I love the physical copy. I love the... The, uh, the, the artwork on the jacket. Like, it's just... It's... I've always had that. So, even though I know we're gonna get a subscription to the streaming service, I'll still go out and buy these movies. And to some people, it kind of seems silly and redundant. But you know what? If my internet goes down, I can still watch my movies. Right. If the internet goes down and I don't have my hard copies, guess what? No movies. Right. That's true. And it does happen. So to me, I'm hoping they don't stop home video. I'm hoping that it's still there for you. For the people that want it, they can have it. Mm. And at the end of the day, it you make a lot more selling a DVD or a Blu-ray for 25 bucks than you spend making it. So I guess... You know, for something that probably costs you like two dollars to make, and you're going ahead and selling it for twenty five, I don't think they're gonna. Maybe they won't pull it together, pull it all together, I should say. But maybe they just won't make as many of them if people are just gonna default to doing everything online. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of the problem with the industry now as a whole is that like if you're streaming a film for cheaper, and you don't have people buying DVDs, it's you know, it's taken away from the total gross. Right. So for that reason, I doubt they'll ever get rid of a physical copy of a DVD because with the streaming service, I'm not sure how, you know, the studios and how everybody gets paid out and and gets the back end of it at that point. Right. And I mean, they still owe these people royalties. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I suppose they would have to keep going. Well, I hope that they do at least. Um, and then this morning we got out of nowhere, out of nowhere which Disney's been doing a lot of lately, a trailer drop for Aladdin. And the issue that I had when I saw the first trailer with Aladdin is now the issue that apparently everybody seems to have. We've Nobody cares that Will Smith is or is not blue because sometimes he is and sometimes he isn't. And everybody else, if you read the comments, has started to shift the focus to the issue that I had when I saw it. Yep. Who the hell is this Jafar? He's terrible. I have the rebuttal. 
I agree with you that he doesn't seem like the dark, sinister Jafar that we, we've come to know and love, in my case. Um, but I'm wondering if they don't go like Prince Hans with him, where he seems like the good-natured guy who's trying to help you. Because let's not forget, he is the king's advisor. He is... That's that's how they know him, is because he, he works in the palace. Um, Sultan. I knew king was the wrong word. The sultan's advisor. Right. Um so I'm wondering if he kind of plays the good guy and then at the end does something diabolical. I'd totally be down for that. I'll reserve my full review until I see the film, but as of right now, not a fan. Well, that's another of good... Of him. Just yeah. of him. No, but that's another good point in general, and that's that's my overall takeaway from the trailer, other than the Will Smith thing. I said it before. You wanted him blue, you got him blue. Now stop complaining. However, in... This film, sometimes he's blue, sometimes he's not. They did that in Aladdin too. Right. Most of the time when he's coming out of the lamp, he's blue. But then when he's in, when he sings Prince Ali, he, you know, takes human form. Right. So I think that's kind of what they're doing here. And I'm okay. But to your point, everybody needs to stop making such harsh judgments when all we've seen is a trailer. I was going through the comments this morning and people were just like, no. That's it. One word. Just no. It's like when somebody says the Islanders suck and then you ask them why. And then it's usually a Ranger fan. It's like, because they suck. Give me something. Why don't you like it? Why don't you agree with this? This is coming from someone who has not watched a Robin Williams movie since he died. I'm not kidding. I haven't. I haven't been able to. You had the birdcage on the other night. And even that, I was like, this is too much for me. So I'm willing to give him a chance you know, if you want to be skeptical about it, fine, but not no. Yeah. And and you've seen a lot, especially with trailers, right? The first one being the one that kind of got the whole trailer hate started was the Ghostbusters remake. Well, that... But that was a bad rightfully movie. Rightfully so. That movie stunk. And it's a shame because that cast was phenomenal and they squandered them. Yeah. We're not going to review it on this show because it's not a Disney film. But that was a mo- that was a movie where it was a bad trailer for a bad movie. But you still go out and watch it, you give it a shot. Since that trailer came out, and that's that's like you know that was like 4 years ago almost that we saw that trailer for the first time. It's kind of hard to believe. But that seemed to be the first trailer I can remember where it was like, "Oh, a trailer. Time to hate on it. And since then, it's almost become a game of how can we hate any trailer that comes out for anything? I understand that, especially with Disney films, they meant something to you during your childhood or even now. You know, I get that everybody feels such a personal connection to Disney, especially like even when you see the castle, it's my castle and you you know you say mine like you you own a piece of it i i totally get that and that's what i mean about the robin williams thing is we grew up on a diet of jumanji and mrs doubtfire and hook and i get where you want to hate it automatically because it's not him but like we also grew up with the fresh prince you know like will smith has not done anything well can't say anything wrong but you know for the most part 
you love all his movies. There have been a few duds, but he's made a lot of movies. You're you're gonna get a bad one once in a while, right? But it's not just Will Smith. It's it's everything that they're hating on. I I'm fine if you loved Aladdin as much as a kid, and maybe you're not ready to see this new version of it. But like, just give it a chance because the rest of it, the music seems cool. Yeah. I'm loving the bo- the Bollywood vibes that I I'm like getting that. from it. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. The, the costumes look cool. The sets look cool. Or here's an idea. Don't go see it. God forbid yeah. you just don't go see it. And keep your mouth shut. Well, that doesn't exist anymore in the digital age of keyboard courage. Right. But anyway, it's a hot button take. We want to hear your take on it. Let us know on social media. <laughs> And please just don't say no. Just tell me just why. Tell us, tell us what you think on social media. At Monoreal Radio on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, we just finished a road trip back from Florida. We got to swing uh, swing through Disney Springs. We got our little, our little Disney hit. We're not going back again until November. But I know that it got you really excited for some of the things that they have coming up this year and for some of the things that you can offer to people who are looking to get down there. Yeah, um, especially with Star Wars being announced. If you're thinking of booking a trip this year, I would do it sooner rather than later um, because I can only assume that the prices are going to go up. And I can definitely tell you that availability is going to get very limited the closer we get to Star Wars. Um, So if you're interested in booking a vacation, get at me either on social media. You can send us a direct message or my email is j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. And don't forget, next week, in fact, I think it's a week from today, registration does open for the 10th annual Wine and Dine Half Marathon. So that's going to open up next week. Make sure that you guys are keeping an eye on that if you are a fan of Run Disney. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.